Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast, America's premier podcast about kickstands. Your go-to source for all things kickstand related. <laughs> how they go up, how they go down, how if you leave it down and put your bike into first gear, it turns your bike off, and other mysteries of the kickstand. Have you ever had a bike that didn't have a kickstand switch where you could take off and and put put in a gear and go with it down? I think I have, yeah. It's gnarly. I don't think it was supposed to do that. Yeah. But I think through years of neglect by its owner, <laughs> that was a possibility. <laughs> I'm thinking my VTR 250. This would be a 1988 bike, possibly 89. I don't think it had that. And I know a couple times I had the old... Tipping into a left crunch and then super like that's bad, right? Yeah. But it didn't it didn't throw me on the ground those times. And then the multistrada I have, it's been so screwed with over its life. It doesn't have a kickstand switch. I think because on older multistradas, the kickstand switch is behind the kickstand and it's underneath and it will get ripped the f off and is a is a known issue. So you basically just have to, you know, plug it and run it as as it's always up so uh, i thus i have taken off a few times from uh, gas stations and heard the scream of one of my fellow riders and or a gas station attendant hey and then you know i feel the clunk and then it does it and i'm just waiting for that time you know what's more fun when you don't properly torque down ah. the kickstand mounting bolts yeah and it works its way off while you're still riding. <laughs> and then you go to put it down. Yeah. And then you sit there and you're just like, what, 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 what's going on here? Or your riding buddies are like trying to flag you down. And you're like, yeah, we're going fast. We're having fun. They're like, no, you're no, kickstand. No, no kickstand. Your kickstand's your dangling. Kickstand's you got a dangling stand. Down. Dangling stand. That's, yeah. that's dangling stand syndrome. <laughs> we're going to have to have that. DWS. <laughs> Hashtag DWS. <laughs> Uh, Quentin, we should point out that this episode of the Two Enthusiasts Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Dionese AGV and the Dionese D stores of North America. They have locations in San Francisco, Orange County, Chicago, with locations coming in Orlando, New York, and Los Angeles later this year. We should, um, if we're a little loopy, there's a reason. Yeah. Because crap. We, we had a pretty busy week at Austin, Texas for, for the MotoGP round. Cause it wasn't just a MotoGP weekend for us. It was also not one, but two press launches tacked on top of it. Yeah. Uh, and so we had a lot of, a lot of duties, but a good time in Austin. I had a good time in Austin. I had a good time in Austin. We got to, we got to have a lot of bonding time together yeah, in Austin. It was, uh, we got Jensen was really wise in his, picking of the house oh they yeah. stayed at in austin oh, good yeah 40 to 45 minutes away <laughs> it was practically in oklahoma <laughs> that was so the, uh, it looked closer on the map <laughs> <laughs> so that meant a lot of windshield time with the crew there but that's okay we we were able to escape the clutches of expensive hotels in austin and stay in a fairly time. nice place yeah we stayed with with steven neal from the paddock pass podcast um and Stoked to be able to hang out with my friend Jarrett, who happened to live like right in that area. I think it's a win. I think okay. we had a good time. Okay. And we had a good time at the track, which was only like an hour and a half away. Yeah. <laughs> my parents live an hour and a half away. I was like, hey, Jensen, you know, next year, we might as well just stay with my parents. <laughs> stay at the ranch. <laughs> All right. So that was good. Yeah, for sure. What a what a busy whirlwind. Holy crap. Never experienced anything like that weekend. The times that I've been to Coda before, it's either been as a spectator 
but usually it was working it right um i was working it for ducati for many years or a couple of year, the years and it's busy and you're there and it's it's frenetic but then I don't know. It wasn't half of the amount of crap that we had to do. We we interviewed people. We did a podcast, kind of like yeah. So we should preface that like we did a live podcast at Ducati Island, which was awesome. Thank you for everyone that showed up to to come watch it and listen to it. Had some technical issues. I'm not quite sure it's gonna ever see the light of day because of the technical stuff, but also because MotoGP FP3 happened. And it was pretty loud. And uh, I've, I've that's part of the technical issues, as far as I'm concerned, is that we just might not have had them. Yeah. So I, I scrubbed through some of the audio and some of it's, uh, I don't know. We might, I think what we might do is pick out bits and pieces that worked and kind of weave them into a show. Um, so, so looking at the things that happened that week, it was busy week for MotoGP. Always a busy week in the paddock. Yeah. Um, one of the things right off the gate that I thought was pretty interesting was. Kenny Roberts Jr. is now a MotoGP legend. Stamp it; it's official. And when I, I was when I first, I was like, "What does that mean?" And you're like, "What do you want it to mean?" <laughs> yeah, well, it means he's he's a legend in the eyes of Dorna. Or, I mean, I, I mean, he is a legend. His dad's a legend. Part of the the fact that he's a legend is because he's from that dynasty of his dad being known as the king or yeah. King Kenny Roberts, king right? Kenny. Yeah. And he managed to not only he 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 burst out of the shadow of his dad and became world champion. Yeah. All right. In two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. And I remember that being a pretty special year because it was him and Colin Edwards, and it was of note. That was a big deal. And I end on the Suzuki, which at the time was not necessarily the best bike, but he made it the best. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the MotoGP Legends thing is sort of Dorna's Hall of Fame. Yeah. But there's never like a really been like a clear, uh, clear criteria for how that works. And I think it's still the case that Kevin Schwantz is the only rider they whose retired number, number. Yeah, yeah they I was going to ask you. I was just about to ask you, did they retire number 10? I don't think so. Because that's Kenny Roberts' at and the time. I don't time. know if that's, I don't think that's part of the package. So it's kind of, I don't really understand Dorna's whole jam on it, but. Kenny Jr., absolutely a legend in my mind. Uh, one of the people instrumental in bringing uh, a safety commission to Grand Prix racing. Yeah. So when we talk about the the riders' meetings and the safety commission for that and the changes that we're seeing at tracks and, and the use of air fence and some tracks that we don't go to anymore or some tracks that have any improvements or the, the protocols are changing. And shoot, next year, um, airbag suits are going to be mandatory for every rider on the grid. That's a part of the safety commission and Dorna's efforts to make it safer. So Kenny Roberts Jr. is a huge part of that happening, which I think is awesome. Um, and, and also Kevin Schwantz has a lot to do with when he, we, we were fortunate enough to actually get to interview Kevin. So look forward to that in a, in a future podcast when he was talking about how, what he had to do with the track, what he had to do with Coda and the beginnings, yeah. which was helping make it safer because most racetracks in the world, all they want to do is make it right for the cars. Who cares about the motorcycles? Minimal runoff. Uh, lots of Armco. Lots ar of Armco to cap capture yeah. the cars because that's better for the cars somehow, some way. And that's tough. You you have to break through that crusty layer of uh, endemic car crap to be able to to be able to get the safety for the riders and i would say especially after riding the track pretty safe even though there's a lot of gnarly spots it's a lot of great runoff and it's well protected and well sorted yeah no i think they did a good job i think kevin was saying when we interviewed him that no a couple bikes have made it to the fence the fence line yeah but, but no, no rider has ever made it to the fence line and that's yeah. a big deal five yeah. years now right yeah. 
Yeah. Or was this the sixth? No, this was the, this fifth, the fifth year. year. Yeah. yeah. So cool to see that. Cool to see Kenny Roberts Jr. get um, recognized for, for his contributions to the sport. We got to ride with him that following Monday. Yeah. And I got, I talked to him a little bit uh, on the Tuesday afterwards. Uh, just cool guy out there with his kids, not getting to ride too much. I think he's saying he he spends more time in, a, in his motorhome, driving his motorhome yep. than he does on bikes nowadays. But um, he was hauling the biscuits when we were out there on the track. For sure. It was cool to be able to come in and have him and Ari Henning from... Motorcyclist. Motorcyclist. Ari. Ari, sorry. Um, they were going through the track map and talking about gearing and where they were and what gear and what corner. And it was cool to hear krjr like well i'm not going that fast but i'm so i'm using this gear in this corner and having airy who is a haul asser for sure yeah. and on it and consistently riding and gets out there on the gsxr and was immediately fast right so he's using all of the gear and all the spots as you would as a racer and krjr is like mm, you know I'm, <laughs> I'm going pretty fast through that and then i'm not really worrying about that and i'm in a taller gear here and I went out in the next session and went faster by going in the and because I had already gained the corner speed in a bunch of the corners, so I could pull the second gear. But I didn't think it would be good. And I, when I did it, I was like, you know what? That's not so bad. And it just meant I had to pull up, you know, even further up the um, the corner speed, and it worked out pretty well for me. But just to be able to have that feedback with a, a world champion, right? And it was one. But then there was Kevin Schwantz, right? Getting the ride behind Kevin Schwantz, yeah. even approaching him. Yeah. Oh my God, what a, what an awesome thing! But we can get to that later. We'll, we'll on. get to that. We'll get yeah. to that. Uh, yeah, so it was cool. It was cool. Good times at Coda with uh, with legends, official official legend, a little official legend. Uh, one thing that was definitely legendary was our getting to ride in the slingshot, and that was like first thing in the morning, early on Friday. It was like we got I just got invited to do this thing. You want to go with me? And I was like, okay, sounds good. Slingshot. This is something I've, I'm sure we've probably <laughs> talked shit about, as we do with you any talk shit. That's why I was like, I'm gonna drag your ass out here. I want you to see this. Yeah, and it, you know, any three wheel car is a three wheel car. It's a car, right? When you when you go around a corner, it leans the wrong way. Sorry, that's not a motorcycle, but totally cool. I'm all about a, a made for speed thing, especially in this in this case, it's by a company that makes motorcycles. So let's give it a try. I rode in uh, in it as a passenger. Should have brought my full face helmet. We, didn't. Yeah, and it was made for a really horrible ride for me. I didn't enjoy one minute of it because without having a full face helmet, it was just like sitting in a wind tunnel. We really got the recipe for for bad news bears because not only did we not bring our full face helmets with us like we should have, we were giving these little you know like little mushroom hats that they were lending out to people. But we also had the sport windshield on, which was like an inch tall. It's not. It's like three inches. But the standard one's like six or eight and inches. And it would need to be that. Which would have made so much more sense yep. from a rider's perspective because we were just getting wind blasted it the whole time. It was buffeting the whole time. It was brutal. And it looked like it was fun to drive. Um, yeah. We talked about it briefly in this podcast that's stillborn. So I figured it would be worth chatting about now. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting concept. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around who buys these things because they're selling quite well. It helps that Polaris is kind of packaging them. Like if you want to start an Indian dealership, you're probably going to have to sell slingshots as well. Hmm. Um, and that can be kind of hard for some places because they're, they're the size a of car. a Miata. It's, it's a, a car. car. And that's what you have to have a car base. You have to have car parking. You like a lot more than you normally thing, like, would. It you would have to be, be able to work on a car. If I was going to get one, I'd have to get rid of all my bikes because that's all the space I have in my garage. You know, it, it's a car spot. Um, 
but they're i think it's cool they're using i think the gm four-cylinder motor ecotech ecotech which has got I mean, you just think about the car world. All the mods they have for those engines are, are pretty robust. You can put turbos on it and superchargers and exhausts and all this crazy whiz-bang go-fast stuff. So that helps in the modification category of it. Um, it felt fast, but it didn't like... It's not like... It's not a bike. That's the thing at the end of the day. It's not a bike. No. And if you go in with bike expectations, you're going to be disappointed. But if you go in for just like, I'm going to go have fun in a motor vehicle, I think it brings a lot to the table. For twenty grand, it's kind of hard because you're getting into that Miata category. But I think for people that don't want a Miata, I remember, I think I was telling you, I rode around in one here in Portland, man, at least a year ago. And we went down 23rd Ave, which is kind of a trendy little eatery spot. And man, did you, the entire world just stopped as we went by. Everyone had to look and see what this crazy thing was. They're a striking looking vehicle. They're very, I'm not a big fan of the styling, but it, it's like, it's the normal, I don't even know what you call it, almost Transformer-esque, robotic, uh, angry insect-looking thing. It's very angular. Yeah. It's got a lot of angles to it. Sure. Um, and that's the thing. It looks it looks like something Batman would be in. It looks like something, you know, straight out of a comic book. So I think that helps. Like, if you want something that's kind of lurid and loud and, you know, they're fun They're fun in a convertible car sort of way, the wind's in your hair, I could see, like, maybe you're, you're past your motorcycling days. Or you just want some more metal around you, and you're just like, hey, I don't really want to do the Harley Davidson trike thing. I don't know about the Can Am Spider slingshot. Okay, yeah, I can why take not? A passenger, they can sit in the seat. They put their seatbelt on. You got a little bit of storage, feeling of safety. I mean, I don't know. I haven't felt so unsafe in years for myself. Like the the out of control, in control. I mean, I wasn't in control because I was passenger, but being in a situation where if something flings up at you. Um, it's so strange that on a motorcycle, it, maybe it's a false sense of security that I could get out of the way or dodge something. And then that thing, it's like, I feel like sitting duck. If, if something happens in a, in a, a tire gator comes flying off of a, a semi, then I'm dead meat. Right. For sure. For sure. I think, I think part of it is on a motorcycle, you're about a third of the profile. Yeah. So just by like odds and just luck, math, you're just by the maths, you're going to be a little bit safer and maneuverability i think i think truthfully is probably a wash the thing that keeps getting me and i think this is as, as an owner of a convertible the having like an actual windshield that's you know taller than you yeah does create a very false sense of security we're like i have a 1972 vw bug there's nothing safe about this car this car i will guarantee it if i ever get in an accident um, that's it i'm done i'm out yeah good times look i'll look good doing it but um super cute super then- cute car death trap yeah, just death trap. But a lot of newer convertibles, say a Miata, there that structure is made to roll. It's made to. Roll. I'm not even worried about the roll. I'm like I'm just thinking like a tire comes off a bigger yeah. or something like you know like barreling through like it's gonna go right through my windshield. And the the thing with the slingshot is there really isn't a windshield and you're kind of exposed and you're really low. And I remember when we were driving, we were, we were driving, we weren't riding when we were driving. <laughs> it's great because you get in the slingshot and there's a sticker right between the um the two seats. It says like this is a motorcycle. You're like, yeah, all right, bud. Yep. Whatever you want to say. I didn't see a kickstand. Did you see a kickstand? No, I didn't see a kickstand. <laughs> all right. All right. Settle down warning sticker. All right. <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself on things. But um, I remember there was one, there was one instance where a truck was kind of pulling out. And if they hadn't stopped and done their thing and we hadn't, I mean, we didn't have to take any evasive action, but it was just one of the things that popped on my radar. And I was very aware of the fact like, 
the vehicle would make it underneath the truck. This was like a semi tractor trailer, but we would, our heads wouldn't, the rest of us wasn't going to make it underneath the truck. And you're just like, I don't know. I'd be ducking, man. I'd be ducking too. I'd be a turducking. <laughs> I'd get all up in it. But but you just sit there and you're just like, no, to be sure that's turd ducking, right? Oh yeah, because I would be, I'd be bringing <laughs> yeah, my, brown, would. I'd be bringing my brown trousers. Is what I'd be bringing. <laughs> um, but you, know, you just kind of sit there and it's like, no, there really wouldn't be like that kind of situation. And if you did like rear end something or have a header. Where does that engine go? Where do where do we go? And because it's not a car, it doesn't have to have the same crash safety no, thing. The crumple zones. Crumple I'm zones. I'm sure there are crumple that. zones. I'm sure we're part of the crumple zones. <laughs> so there's kind of like a little thing there. You're like, I don't want to think about this too much. Yeah. But it's cool. It's cool. It's I'm not gonna go out and buy one anytime soon. But I I think if I, someone is yourself who's been a little bit of a hater about it, shocking, shocking Quentin being a hater about mm-hmm. something. Um. I think I think you have to have a different appreciation for just what it is because I I can see why people would buy it if if yeah, if, sure. if a buddy of ours Same rolled man. up tomorrow and want to be like okay yeah I get it yeah all right you must have a really big garage but all right yeah just no one in Portland has garages so yeah no. that's the fiction sure and up here to own something like that if you get a Miata you right? don't well I'm just gonna say a convertible like if you have a convertible and live in the Portland area I want to know what your fantasy life is like. Like you must be into some weird stuff because you're just living in a whole nother world of reality. <laughs> I would have. So if, if you said, all right, you need to have something like this gun to my head. I'm still going to, I'm going to go for a Caterham seven, uh, you know, Lotus seven what? kit car. That looks really like a car though. Uh, yeah. That that would, that's really why I would like rather have that. I'm, I, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to have 25 grand or one of those things was 27 or yeah, eight, grand. Pr- and that's the thing I kind of don't really get when they start pricing them out so high. I'm like, so I'm paying like eight grand for seats. And yeah. that's the thing I would say. And bold new graphics. I would say that for 20 grand, it felt really cheap. Everything on it felt really, really cheap. And it felt if, like a go-kart that you would rent at like Scandia Fun Park. <laughs> you know, where it's just like, oh, this is like this this like rubberized steering wheel and just shitty seats with no padding. Well, and, but they have to make it weatherproof in a weird way. So yeah, that's going to yeah. feel cheap. For me, it's like looking at the components. for it was Just look at the final drive. Look very closely next time you have a chance. It all looks so overbuilt and heavy. And I get it that it's probably needs to be to a point, but I don't know. My my eye for light trick race bike stuff and rad race car stuff. Uh, if you're going to go and you're going to make a three-wheel car, I want it to be light and trick, not kind of like clunky and American. Yeah. It's, or is it Canadian? Are they Canadian? No. no Mer- they're American. America. America. Yeah, right. Can-Am's Canadian. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's where the can yeah, comes the from. Yeah, the can. Yes, we can. Am. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, it's I like, get them mixed up. I seriously do. Like no, no, I have no, to talk. I, I, it's like, is this Can Am? Is this BRP? Polaris? Is this Polaris? Which yeah. one? Right. So yeah, this is Polaris, which is out of Minnesota, Minnesota slash Iowa area, and that's good. All right. So right on. Good for them. Hopefully they're. You know what? Uh, uh, why not? So for me, if you have the means and you like that type of shit, run it. Absolutely. But they're selling. Good. They're selling. Yeah. So it's like one of those like everything we say here, and we can be haters and and drink the haterade and be poopy. They're selling, so who cares? Yeah, right, absolutely. If somebody More gets in one and, and they enjoy it, great. Yeah. I, I cannot hack on that. If you show up to my bike night, I'll ask you to leave. <laughs> nah, it's not true. Everyone's welcome at bike night. 
Except for, except for Can-Am. So scooter, scooters. Scooter people. Scooters. Scooters, scooters. right. Yeah. Does it? Does your opinion of scooter riders change if they're on a Vespa or not? No. Only they, The only time scooter rider uh, opinions change is if you're on a Zuma, because those just work. They're functional. Or a Italijet Dragster, which is just rad. It has a single-sided uh, front swing arm. A lot of them do, though. Yeah, but this does in a cool way, like a Bomoda Tessie. It's really mm-hmm. rad. You should see it. It has a trellis frame. They're just cool. That's Italian. Awesome. That's the only. That's it. That's that's it. Vespas, Lambrettas. Do oh. you do you wave to scooter riders? Nope. Really? Nope. You're that guy. If they wave, I wave back. I'll wave to everyone, but I will not put my hand out. Do you wave to Harley riders? Yeah. And then when they don't wave, the the middle finger goes straight up and out. Like check that out in your rearview mirror, motherfucker. Yeah, I wave to them for sure. Do you wave to little kids? Yeah, yeah, I like to, especially if they're in a car. Because yeah. if you're waving to the kid in the car, then the kid, hey, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy. And then the parent is aware that there's a motorcycle around them. It's it's of note that like you should definitely do that every time. I was at a stoplight yesterday. I was out in the Street Fighter putting all the braps out because I got to dust the cobwebs off that girl every, every once in a while. Sure. I was at a stoplight. And you kind of like Spidey sense was like, like this car is trying to like, I'm pretty sure she rolled down her window. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know how I knew it. I just kind of looked over and I see her windows down and she points to the back seat and I look and there's just like this little boy just like glued to the window. Just. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I walk the bike back a few steps and I wave and he got real self-conscious and he gets back in his seat yeah. and, I, and I flick up my helmet and I wave some more and, and he's you, like, oh, he saw me. Oh, I'm did you rev the engine? No, but I, I took off spiritedly. Yeah, I had a good, spirited ride good. from there. I figured, you know what? You're you're leaving impressions no matter what you're doing as a motorcyclist, for better or worse. Um, you might as well leave a good one for kids. And if you're exactly. the person that's on some badass, I mean, my Multistrada looks like grinning evil death. It's gnarly. It's ugly. It's beat up. But if you wave, like, it's totally like in a like, hi, it's so good. Because then, you I like know, that you did the Queen of England the, wave. The, the queen, <laughs> Right? Yeah. What, for is, sure. what is the one where they just kind of like twirl their hand in the air? I don't, I don't understand know. that way. Whatever it is, it's it's a it's an affirmative. I see you, and I'm stoked that you see me. Have, have, look at this, and then then brap brap. Yeah, I look at it. I look at it from two perspectives. One, you're creating a future motorcyclist potentially. Yeah, potentially. You know, future motorcyclist in the making right there. You get them stoked about it. And two, you're giving bikers a better name. A little bit. You know, like, hey, that guy waved at a little kid. I'm going to probably think twice before I try and run him over with my car. <laughs> you know, maybe he's not as bad of a guy after yeah. all. Yeah. Maybe it's that Jensen Beeler guy from the two enthusiast podcast. He's a silly son of a bitch. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> there was a group of kids. I don't know. It's a couple of weeks ago, uh, right? As the, the, the Portland started to break up. It's, it's crappy roads and the, 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 the light started to shine. This, that sun thing that doesn't happen here that often. Everything was happening. And I was out on the bike. There was a group of kids at a, at a, at a corner uh, where there's a stoplight and I have to admit I went into that corner super hot with the multi and I didn't look at the kids because I was like in a hurry to make the light and I, I, I tend to wonder did did any one of those kids get a rad impression of this Ducati going rah, 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 and then p- powering through the corner and going while the teacher's like oh, god fuck motorcyclist right do they does a kid have a, a negative view of it if the teacher gets shitty or if this you know whoever whatever uh, uh figure that's in the area of uh, you know of importance did, did the kids view that negatively or positively well, right? it really gets into the nature nurture question right are we born passive aggressive pacific northwesterners <laughs> or is that something that we acquire over time <laughs> and we learn it from our elders 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Something right. to chew on. That's probably not a topic for this podcast, but yeah, percolate on it. Okay. Well, percolate. Casual transition back to MotoGP. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of dangling. Let's talk about... Uh, let's talk about how the timing system works. Yeah, yeah you're saying that you got to see the how the sausage is made on timing. Yeah, you know, it doesn't sound like... It doesn't sound like that sexy of a topic, but it's actually pretty, pretty intense and it's pretty interesting. So the, the folks at TSO got a hold of me and I'm really glad that they T-Sale? did. TSO? I wish they'd pick up some advertising, but you know, that's fine too. So TSO, yeah, we just watched a Nikki Hayden ad on YouTube just ran. TSO? TSO. I got my TSO. I know what time it is. It's T-I-S-S-O-T and I'm sure it's TSO. TSO. Yeah, they're Swiss, so. Is it? Oh, yeah. so it might, I, caught, I assumed it was French, but of course that would be stupid to assume that I had watch that's high. Have end you seen is, their little logo? It's like red and white. It's a little red and white. Oh, crown. is it? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Tso, tso. Right on. Go Nikki. Go Nikki. Go Nikki. Go Nikki. Go go. Um, I don't know where that came from, but yeah, really interesting to go see how the pros do timing because it's something we take for granted, absolutely, and it's it's a lot more complicated than you think. So. There are, what is there, three or four timing loops? Yep. Uh, this is that way you can break up the track into sections. Like, hey, right. uh, sector one, you're slower than uh, than everybody. But in sector three, holy crap, you're you're really doing well. And then that way you know, okay, I've got sector three locked down. I need to work on, this, on the first corner, or the first, right. second, third, fourth corner, right? So those are the official timing loops. And then there's secondary loops where it's, it's, it's for their internal uses. And the whole system runs off an RF single, off a radio frequency single. Mm-hmm. And it's two-way. Mm-hmm. It's dual channel. So that's really interesting. Just in just in a nutshell. And to see, so the transponders, we should I should back it up a little bit. So each bike obviously has a transponder. It's sending out an RF signal of you know of an ID number. And the way the timing loop works, it's not like there's a cable on the ground or anything like that. They're using RF antennas and they're triangulating mm. the frequency as it comes by. And I, they must have incredible resolution on it because it's basically there. And I saw the, the the screen, and you can see the graph, like the the sine wave kind of of the signal huh. as it hits its apex, it hits its peak, and then drops again. And when it hits that peak, that's when they know they've crossed the line. Very interesting. And I, I'd be very curious to see even more on a technical way on how they deal with the yeah. antennas and the spacing of this, because sure. to get that accuracy, and then. They back that system up with a visual system. So each time the bikes come through, their picture is taken, but not in the way you think. And I'll get there to us in a second. So they have the computer doing the RF thing. It'll be like, okay, number 46 just came through. Number 99 just came through, blah, 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 blah. And then they have another person who's verifying that that is correct visually for each photo that is taken. They've got this, this system. So like when you see the, the photo finish photo, yeah. You've seen I'm sure you've seen a couple of those. Uh-huh, sure. So it's not a photo, if that makes sense. Instead of it's not like they're breaking like a, a beam or a laser or they're timing or anything and a photo's being taken of them. What it is is they have a, a video system or a camera system that is only taking a very, very very narrow picture of the start finish line. And so when a bike comes across the start finish line, it's not taking its picture. It's acting more like a scanner. 
Hmm. So as the bike crosses the, the, the line, it's going over, you're scanning the front tire, you're scanning the front fairing, you're scanning the rider's helmet, you're scanning no, the rider's foot. So that's why, that's why it, they have that weird look. To that's them. why they have that weird kind of look like a, like it's almost like a motion blur, like a linear yeah. motion blur yeah. because it's not a photo. It's just, that's the, the pixels of them as they're crossing the line. And each pixel is one one thousandth of a second. Okay. That makes sense. So that's how they can tell who is in front of who and by how much. They blow up, look at the pixels. And it's just, you're just counting pixels, basically. And that's the one resolution. One thousandth of a second. Yeah. That's point zero zero zero. Yes. Right. Huh. I'm good at the maths. Point zero zero one kind of thing. Well, yeah. yeah. The, the, the three Third, digits. Yeah. yeah. So cool. that's where that those photos come from. That, and it, you know, it took me a while to like kind of like understand what they were saying once there was like a scanner i was like that's why it looks that way because when you look at it like the background and the the ground all looks the same because it is the same because it's not changing perspective you're just it's just the bike is the only thing coming through the photo that's different and it's getting scanned pixel by pixel to create this what's the what's the thing that's making that what is high speed camera i'd imagine something that's taking photos at thousands of a second oh, one things of, of note is that these transponders have been used for years now must i would love to know when it started but um there there are passive and active ones i think so you're talking about this two channel deal and I, I would like to know more about which like what most uh, ama road racing had had you'd have to hardwire or it was wise to hardwire your transponder to the bike get 12 volts to it that way you never had to worry about charging it up I and mean, this is what we had at graves AIM, AIM, that was there. That was, I believe, that was the transponders we were using. Uh, club racing, you'd have these things where you, you charge them up, and they would last like a weekend. So you'd start on Friday practice, Saturday, and then Sunday, and by the end of Sunday, they would be blinking. And if it blinks four times, you're good. But if it's blinking one, and then blinking one, blinking one, you know it's about to die, and that's not good. Um, so I would want to know, like, are those similar to what they're using? Mode? Did you be? I would assume so. But placement of that was always like, hey. You can't put this on your front fender because think about that for a second. If you're putting it on your front fender and somebody else thought, oh, well, I want to hide it behind my in my tail section, you ostensibly could beat them even though they were beating you on the line. Your front fender would be in front of the transponder in the rear if it wasn't sorted out well. And if they didn't have a photo finish, then it would show in whichever way, like this thing where you're talking about triangulation, I'd want to know. Like, when did this happen where they, they ended up having a very specific, you got to put it on your forks? Because that makes the most sense. Okay, everybody has it in the same spot. And they'd be very like, this is where you have to have it. Then. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we talked about that when we were in the timing station. And, and, and understand, like, the timing station is like mission control. Like, there's probably, it's a very small room. It's not much bigger than my living room. But there's probably 20 computer screens a whole rack of servers behind them. Was that that area that I was asking you, hey, what's... what's no, no, no. That's no. a different... That no, was this the, is like third floor of the building. Okay. Um, so very There's lots of these places where there are people sitting with computer screens and racks of servers, and yeah. this is the new... This is what makes it work. Well, that's the thing. So not only are they they you know doing the timekeeping, but then they have to push it out to the production studio so they can have the live timing... Yeah. For the website and for the world feed. Do they also create those maps where you see like an M with Marquez exactly. and a V with exactly. Valentino or whatever it is going around right. the track? And that's GPS powered, yeah. yeah. That's um, so very interesting to see that. And uh, so going back to the dual channel, so that's so that they can send messages. 
So they can send it. They can send Are it. You silly, don't I'm be not, silly. I'm not even being silly, bro. <laughs> they can send it. No, oh, just don't send it to any miners. <laughs> little, little, little people on the earth. Oh, okay. Yeah, the diggers. <laughs> We have the stupidest jokes. <laughs> so horrible. We, the, just we need to get some new ones. Well, yeah, we do. Yeah, but the old ones are so good. Um, so they can send. So like, like if you jump the start, they yeah. can send you a message like, "Hey, buddy, you got to come in and do a you know ride through penalty, or you're yep. black flagged, or uh, you're blue flagged." There's a you know lap rider coming through kind of thing. And I think MotoGP wants to start experimenting with sending the teams being able to send messages to to riders so like hey fuel consumption change to map three or you know rossi's coming on you know get on the gas wake up up. hard the fuck up um and i don't know i think that's that's something that's i don't think they've quite figured out but because everyone's on a spec ecu it's a lot easier to do now and i think it's just figuring out how to work with the dash but really really interesting from just like a technical point of view to see how they uh do everything and i was lucky to have uh uh one of the guys we work with andrew cone with us who has not not con cone <laughs> it's k-o-h-n and i'm like con like con no cone Ken. yeah um he uh he has some let's say technical expertise yeah. in, in this field so he was very curious to see how MotoGP uses GPS for timing. So, so yeah. one of the things he mentioned was, you know, when the apocalypse comes or when World War III starts, you know, one of the first things that's going to go down is the American GPS system. Yeah. Not because like we don't, we need it for shooting missiles or anything. It's just our society is so dependent on using not GPS for location, but using GPS for time. Our like our cell phones will literally stop working, not because we can't get location services off the cell towers, but because our cell phones are so dependent on the GPS signal for what time it is, huh. and all these other things that are dependent on that. And we don't really think about it. MotoGP is one of them. They use the GPS signal, well, the American GPS signal, for the timing accuracy. So it's very it's very interesting to see like how you have to like kind of coordinate, you know, this the satellite system that's, because that's they're got t- the t- because it's they're they're in the business of time, huh. you know. So it's like it's it's like you get you start getting into this crazy field of atomic clocks. I was about to say, is GPS it all pinging signals. off of the atomic clock? I mean, this this is a very interesting thing of just looking at the history of recording time and recording distances because yeah. it's changed over time. It's like, oh, it used to be that was the length of a man's leg. Well, you know, people got longer. Well, now it's for a long time it was the length of a certain aluminum rod or it was a steel rod it was some sort of rod i forget what the the, uh, the composition was but then we started realizing like you know like when it gets hotter it's actually like yeah. a fraction of an inch longer and then we started getting into like sound and now like now it's i think it's a red laser beam and how long that takes to travel in one second is is now the measure of time and then we break it out from there there's probably Wikipedia articles that explain this way better than I am, but fascinating. <laughs> fascinating because it all cascades down into this idea of we're measuring bikes that are going around a track to like, I forget what the the, the level resolution, but thousands of a second. And that's not easy to do when you have to be hyper accurate about it. 
Yeah. So you can't have some team come in and say like, hey, my guy just lost by three thousandths of a second, but we think he won because your margin of error isn't good enough to cover that. Hmm. And they have to, nope, here's the signal and this is say, how we calibrated yeah. it and this is the thing and here's our photo and each pixel is, you know, one thousandth of a second and you can see there's three pixels right here between your guy and their guy and you lose, buddy. It's super, super interesting to, to take something so basic and something we take such for granted and just get hyper hyper serious about it and and kind of geek out to be yeah honest. you're you're super geeking out i it. really geeked out because i'm i'm into it but i'm i'm like all right i'm glad that that exists and i'm stoked but i kind of like let's get back to the bikes straight up like you're like whatever nerd yeah <laughs> no but it's good it, I, I get that it is good i almost kind of want to go into your into cons uh into mr cone uh, his uh what he does and why why he knows so much about that i'd love to dig into that but that's for another podcast that's another podcast all i know is i get a three minutes heads up when the world ends <laughs> <laughs> uh you got to go do something that i didn't get to go do because i had a meeting or something i forget Dude, what, you I were forget. so busy both of us were running around like chickens with our kids I did, yeah i should say if if either of us ran into you at uh, Circuit of the Americas during the MotoGP weekend, and we weren't able to sit down and give you our full attention and talk to you and and have a a beverage. Apologize in advance, but we were so so busy. We probably had to go somewhere and had something to do and and meetings and and press events and all that stuff. So apologies in advance for that. We definitely got to have some of those conversations and got to meet a lot of you, which was awesome. But I know there was people who was just like, oh hey hi yeah I gotta okay I gotta go I gotta go over here okay later bye yeah. sorry yeah. I love you. But this actually brings me to we were standing in line yeah to go into the Suzuki X Star pit like into their pit box into their garage. So this that, is the MotoGP team, the X Star yeah. Suzuki MotoGP team, yeah. Alex yeah. Rins, Andre Ianone, which is really cool, yeah. right? So that I believe was on Sunday. Yes, Saturday. Saturday because we just picked up our our passes from okay so it was on yeah. Saturday holy crap it was such a world right so we we were there and you, we were like close to you were close to being able to go in but then you had to go to a meeting it's like ah but I got to go in but while we were standing there we had um was it Brendan or Brandon from Chicago and his wife came up and like hey can I get a picture with you guys yeah. and it was just like super cool what super really cool. so bizarre so I'm a Crutchlow fan yeah, right. Yeah. Like, like was counting on him to win yeah. the win the race. Kyle, Kyle did pretty good. I was yeah, talking a little. Sure. I was talking a little poop. Didn't he end up fifth? I think fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So he did you pretty can't well. can't yeah. hack on that. He yeah. did pretty good. Shows um, what I know. Sure. So that was really cool. Sorry if I can't remember Brendan to Brandon. I have a lot of Brendans and Brandons in my space. So that was cool to have that person come up to us. But then I got to go in the Suzuki MotoGP pit, which is really you know what? It's always special. It, they the teams are busy as F when they're there. They are there to do one job. They are not there generally to show off the pits. It's there to look good on TV, but to be able to get a VIP uh, tour is always special. And they were able to get us in there um, with the bikes assembled, which was this is, this is thanks to Suzuki Moto America. We yeah, so uh, Suzuki USA, Suzuki... Moto America, they went through that bankruptcy thing now. Suzuki Moto America? Motor America. Motor America. Okay, so, so Suzuki Motor America, rad. Uh, thank you, Avery yeah. uh, and Glenn were able to get us into this. That so was cool. And it was a group of people. Uh, go, you could have to go in at, uh, eight at a time, and they let us take pictures. They were like, you can take pictures. That was the coolest part. They had assembled the bikes. 
Was the garage door open? No. Interesting. Yep. Garage door was closed. Because usually that's 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 the thing. Garage door closed, no pictures. Garage door open. You're okay. Pictures yeah. are good. No, it was of note. And Kevin Schwantz was in there BSing with one of the other people. Of course he was. And yeah, right. He's probably just like, all right, where's a diet coke around here? I gotta get a Coca Cola in man. <laughs> I'm gonna go take my dog out. We're gonna go hunting and do a little fishing, and then I'm gonna ride some motorbikes. Yeah, he was he was there as that's, well. That's not that's like the worst Kevin Schwartz no, you voice yeah, ever for sure. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't even, even talk. He like doesn't that at have all. much of an accent. He has a slight draw, but not much. Yeah. not like not like gnarly. So uh, we were told, you know, but don't, don't bother anybody. Basically, just go in, check it out, check, and, and have a look. So I, I was stoked to be able to geek out clo- up close on the bike and see some of the changes because a couple of years ago when I went. They had that bike before it was actually competing in MotoGP, and they had it in the Suzuki tent in the, I don't know, in the in the the vendor row, and I was able to get all up in it and take a bunch of pictures at that time, and you know it was trick, it's it's bitching. Uh, that so bike's so cool. It is. That's my favorite bike in the paddock. It's, it's very jewel-like, and there's a lot of really neat little tidbits to it. So being able to get in there and take a picture of like the top triple clamp is like five millimeters deep. It's really interesting. Never seen anything like that. Was stoked by it. To see a couple of other little things, the brake rotors laying on the ground, the helmets that they use up on the wall, put it up on the Instagram. Um, and, and Alex Renz liked it. That Alex Renz liked it. That yeah. was cute. That was awesome. Um, so that or, was that was shout a, out to Alex Renz. He's on the mend right now. Yeah, he, he broke his arm. His wrist. Yeah, yeah. his left wrist. Ulna or radius or uh, both. Yeah, just, bad. Yeah, bad news bears. Bad news bears, but he'll be back. In like um, six weeks, yeah. Ooh, yeah. He's going to miss like two or three races. Ooh. And there, there was a Japanese test rider that's coming in. Yes. I can't remember his name, but I don't either, good yeah. luck to him. So that was neat. That was really cool. Uh, anytime you get to get up close to those things, it's almost like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just take a picture with every time I blink. Uh, but you had to be very careful. I didn't, you, know, you almost don't want to be too... You don't want to be that guy? You don't want to be like, click, 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 click. And it was just like, you know, just take some close-ups of some certain stuff and look at how light and lift the rear sprocket looks i mean it looks like the rear sprocket you could use to as a chinese star it's, it's really neat seeing how frankly how light they have to make everything the wheels are really trick different than most marcazinis i don't know what if they were even marcazinis but they're forged and they're tri y so they're of a, a unique shape whereas like all the hondas are like seven or six spokes Really interesting to see all that stuff up close where you really, sometimes you notice it, sometimes you don't when you're looking at pictures, but to get up close and be able to geek out on it was good. Stoked. Yeah. That's a cool experience. Um, anytime you get into a, a pit box. I hey. got to get in the Ducati briefly as well. Oh, and what yeah? was really cool was... Drink. Huh? Drink. Drink, drink, <laughs> drink. Tessau. So be able to get um, <laughs> get into the Ducati, uh, but and, we're gonna and, get the most sponsor just so we can just have Tessau, Tessau, right? And just have to, you're gonna have to play. I hope you can play Nikki's voice when he says we'll it. We'll get Nikki on the show so you can do it for yeah, us. Yeah, for sure. And he'll slap us in the face for being silly. <laughs> so I get to go in very briefly, but what I, I got to go in while the bikes were apart. Yeah, and that's that, cool. That was of note. Like it was absolutely no pictures. This is very special. You're getting in at this time, but it was a, a very specific deal, and it was Paolo Chibati. It was a, a lot of sin. It was really cool. So I get to I got to see the like a flywheel, like a like a Desmond Sidici flywheel. Oh wow! I was all like super like oh. Right? You make fun of me for nerding yeah, out on timing. Sure. Listen to you this go about me. a flywheel. No, dude, like a fly on the wall. Oh my gosh, it was so rad to be able to see that. Like up, like see an engine case off. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, if I could only be able to sit in here and geek out. There on this are other teams 
games that would pay good money for that experience. For sure. Absolutely. Well, you can't, I don't have Google glasses, right? Sorry. So that was really neat uh, to be able to go in and it, it feels, it felt super special to be able to see that bikes up on the lifts and, a, and it's a different cadence. When we went in the Suzuki pit, they were all assembled. Everybody's fairly relaxed. They were, you know, chugging away on data and, and doing other things. But in the Ducati pits, they were working on the bikes. They were making decisions and waiting. Like that flywheel was probably going to be changed for a different weight flywheel. Right. There was a reason why that was off, et cetera. So cool stuff for sure. I had the, I didn't get to go into any pit boxes this year, but I've had the experience of getting to go into Randy Mamola and have him point stuff out. That yeah, was cool. I bet. I bet that's good. I so. saw you chatting with him briefly at the Alpine stars thing. Love Randy. Such a good dude. Um, you want to talk about another MotoGP legend that's done so much for our sport in terms of he started a charity called Riders for Health, which we've been fairly involved with in Asphalt and Rubber. And now it's a little bit defunct in MotoGP. Dorna has taken it over and I'm trying to remember what the name of the new organization is. It's a, it's an organization that basically is bringing health services to uh, countries in Africa consistently, which was really important. Um, so it's good to see that, that Dorna is picking that up, but that's, that was Randy Mamol's baby, him with, um, the Coleman family, really, really good stuff. And Randy was a huge part of that. And Randy's just a solid dude to talk to good people. We talked about my mom for a while, had a good chat. So, uh, always good to see him and, and, and to see that he's doing well. And Dakota was out there, uh, helping out, um, Kyle Crutchlow. He's Kyle Crutchlow's little, uh, I think you would call him a body man. Technically he's, he's, he's just like personal assistant. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's cool. So, in and the, a whole aster in his own right. And a whole aster in, in his own right. The, I don't think a season, I don't think his season materialized this year. Uh, unfortunately in the Spanish series or something like that. Yeah. I think they're trying to put it together like a moto two ride and CEV. Uh, he did. I think he did a wild card in, in Moto America last year uh, at Coda. And the, for those who don't know who Randy Mamola is, because there might be some listeners that don't, sure, sure. he was a hardcore MotoGP. Well, he was a 500 GP rider for a very long time. And I think he came in second multiple times. He's one of those that's known for being like he didn't get a championship yeah. and he should have. He's. I, I want to say he's like the winningest GP rider never to get a championship. Yeah. Something he, of that He's one nature. of those that like... But but he's not bitter and shitty about it. You know, some people get like really disappointed. Like I'm sure Danny Pedrosa has shed some tears because he's you know definitely been almost there so many times, but not quite. But anyway, Randy was known for being a bit of a wild child. Definitely somebody who was going to pop a wheelie and and put on a show in that era. Had a really cool helmet. Uh, really neat helmet design from that era and rode the Kajivas, which were neat. And there was a great picture of him with a Testarossa from that era. Like, it's like, you know, he's a GP rider. Here's a Ferrari. It's pretty cool. Yeah. He was, he was definitely living the eighties dream. I, I have a feeling. Super good dude. Always glad to see him. Uh, he's always super busy. I think he's still doing some rider coaching with, uh, the tech riders and maybe Kyle Crutchlow. I know he's, he's doing a little bit of rider coaching for a few GP guys. Uh, I haven't quite heard what he's up to this season, but you always see him in the, in the pit boxes doing debriefs and stuff like that. So cool. It stuff. was so neat to be able to pop through and, and kind of be on a fly in the wall to see the, the people, you know, and that you interact with when you go to these, cause you've been in it for so long and been that behind the scenes realm. And for me, then I go through the Moto America pit and I see a bunch of people that I know. But one thing was really fun was, Walking in, getting the you know scanned. They scan your your yeah. cards now to get in the pits and for GP, and that's new to me. So Jet and I were walking in, and um, we get our thing scanned, and the, there's a guy in the Alpine Stars gear walking Andrea Davizioso to from from the pit area 
back to one of these, I don't know what you call them, pop-up. Um, Maybe like a hospitality. Hosp- something yeah. like that. But the, all these buildings are like pop-up and they all are very nondescript. Well, yeah, right? they're like modular. I mean, the U.S. round is a little different than than a lot of the other rounds. People need to understand the what the what they call the flyaway races, which would be like the U.S., Australia, Japan, Kuala Lumpur, Qual- uh, whatever Spain, that is, yeah, yeah. are very different in atmosphere from the races in Europe, because mostly because they don't have their tractor trailer hospitality things. Yeah. So in lieu of those, though, like in the U.S., it's like a modular building that they just kind of forklift there, and it's you know that's where they do the repairs and. You know, some of them are a little bit more elaborate than others, and they have you know dining areas and and things like that. But um, yeah, for the Alpine Stars, they have their own hospitality, yeah, but they yeah. also probably have a little modular office where some guy can sew together some gloves, yeah, for and sure, boots and deal and, with this. And yeah, so yeah, that was exciting. Quinn, we should probably take a commercial break. Let's do, and then come back and talk about our experiences on the new Suzuki GSXR one thousand and Aprilia RSV four super bikes. Super bikes. Super bikes. They were super. So Quinn, I'm I'm pretty sure I got emailed some some talking points for this for this ad, but I think I'm gonna go rogue and go with a different direction on this because you got kitted out for some gear for our press launches in our time at Coda. You got to use it for the for the press launches with Suzuki and Aprilia, and you were quite smitten. Like, this is, like, unsolicited. Like, we're yeah. not, like, you know, sketchy milkman. You got off the bike. You're like, this this stuff is rad. So so tell me about what you got and and, and your experience with it. We're going to have to come back to sketchy milkman. I want to know what that means. <laughs> yeah, we had a weird neighborhood growing up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got, I'm sorry, but I've got to bring that up. <laughs> All right. So, yes, I have race leathers that are usually beat up and I have them emblazoned with Ducati. Why, why, why are they, why are they right. beat up? I crashed, I crashed that. Are you a crasher? And the one, the, the, the only good set that looks semi-decent has Ducati all over it and it would be, I that's think, the one you've crashed in the least. Let's just preface this. Right? The least. Because they're the newest ones. Right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> the, I, I, I'm going to a press launch, getting invited, having the privilege to go to these press launches like, dude, I'm going to have to buy a suit um, and, or, or, or somehow some way procure a suit that is not branded with another manufacturer so we can do this. And you brought up, hey, I know some people. Let's let's see what we, we can do. We got a we got a guy. And we got a guy and a, and a gal. And holy crap, did they come through? So I was able to get a uh, Danese um, Laguna Seca suit, and and we fitted it really well because in the past I'd always used a fifty two, and I thought, oh, well, I'm a fifty two because I'm an average build. Well, this ended up being a one hundred four, which is a a long, a 52 long. And holy crap, did that make all the difference in the world? I don't know. The fact that there is off the rack suits that are that different where I, okay, this fits way better, like notably better than a normal off the rack 52, which is a standard like Euro size, right? So first off, that was rad. Um, second off, using the boots, the Danese uh, boots, I'm, I can't remember the, the... I forget what model. You have the ends though. That yeah, go and that was the, the neat leathers. thing. Yeah. I, up to this point, had been running boots that are outside of the leathers and they're usually super clunky, difficult to manage, and frankly, I think look goofy. I think they're the torque in boots. Torque in? Uh, yeah. The well, torque. They're called torque. They're the torque boot and then there's a torque in and a torque out. Uh, and this, you had the torque ins because they go into the leathers. Into the leathers. So this is my first experience with that. And holy crap, did it work well. It's cool, right? It was so comfortable. And there's Velcro in the leathers that Velcro to the top of the boot so it just stays. I don't know why anyone would want a boot on the outside of the leathers after doing this. And, and then the boots are light and small and but, not, but not clunky. super structural. Yeah. So that was neat. Yeah. I was pretty stoked by that. 
Um, the gloves, which are gnarly and with titanium and stuff and, and set in them. And that was really cool. Dainese gloves that were pretty rad. And they broke in and all this stuff broke in like like it was almost like it didn't need to be broken. I did a street ride uh, a couple few hours with the gloves on because that actually can be really problematic. If you get to thing. a track yeah. and your gloves aren't broken, you will have issues. And I still, that I, I, you still takes, it takes like super getting sweaty and gnarly to get them really fit to you. There's only, that's the only way it happens. Sure. Um, but you definitely still, can't judge a pair of gloves on your first wearing of them. No, nope, you got to run them. Like, like a week. You got to run them. So yeah. I did and it was great. And then the AGV helmet which was really good like surprisingly good uh, uh you were I, in the corsa r i believe and it was are you kidding me this is amazing right so i uh was pretty stoked by all of the gear every single thing because i got immediately comfortable didn't have any issue back protector chest protector right in no issue uh ambulatory all the way all the feelings all the, all the goods it was really cool and then the helmet was very slippery and you could you could tell um after wearing d other different helmet manufacturers for a long time it was amazing how arrow um that helmet was and great feeling and then with the um the pin lock on the screen was also pretty cool too so um all the gear the fact that it all worked in synchronicity was of note and that it was all super comfy right off the bat and it looked of course it looked wicked right and made your butt look pretty good yeah i just want to bring it up because i just remember <laughs> i forget what bike you hopped off of but you were something like, dude, these leathers are rad. This was awesome. And it was the most unsolicited kind of thing you could you could possibly say about a yeah, product. And I sure. just want to make sure we shared it with everyone because it's like, you know, sit here and it's like, yeah, okay, guess who's paying our lunch today? But like No, it's legit. They're paying for our lunch because we believe in the product. Yeah, for sure. So so if 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 that compels you to go find out more, Dainese has corporate owned stores that are full of only Dainese and AGV gear. They're in San Francisco, Orange County, and Chicago with stores coming in, Orlando, uh, New York, and Los Angeles soon. So go there and you'll find a store full of specialists in this gear. They'll get you fitted up, get you rock and rolling, just like they did with Quentin. And the boots were really, the, the, the left-hand boot was made it really easy to put the kickstand up. Oh, wow. Did it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> just ruined that ad. <laughs> All right, Quentin, uh, we teased it at the beginning of the show. We didn't just watch motorbikes. We got to ride some motorbikes. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And I'm going to I'm gonna go on a limb. I feel like I sent it. <laughs> did you? Yeah. I don't know what, what the equivalent of sending it on a, on a road race track is, but I think I, think I posted the picture of a... Uh, uh, we apexed it. Uh, <laughs> right? Of a, of a burnt-up knee slider. I'm not one to throw knee down straight up like i do i like putting my knee down but i don't grind pucks right so that's a lot of people think that um that the 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 further you grind through your knee tuck me puck the the faster you are and that's not always the case it's just if you're using it as a gauge you just do a little stimp step down and you feel it and you know where you're at and i think i know where you're going with this and i agree 100 percent that for me, uh, the, you know, sending it for sure. There's a little bit of of the the picture of the holy crap. I ground off the little fox face of the of the uh, it's a devil face. It's a what? It's a devil. That's a devil. It's a Dainese devil. Oh well, that's cool. I I didn't really. I always thought it was fox. 
what did the fox say? Grind my knee sliders, right? So that was really cool. And because the track, strangely, it's clo- it's a counterclockwise track, but you end up grinding your knee slider on the on the right hand side, which is counterintuitive. But they have a couple sweepers, especially that one that goes around the tower that you, it really helps. And it's really a mental thing with confidence to grind it in and go. And then then that way you can feel out where you're at traction wise and lean angle wise and send it after that. I'm, I'm right there with you. I am not someone that, that goes, I'll go through a pair of pucks in a season. If that. Maybe. If that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure the pucks that I had on for that launch have been on that suit since I got it. And it's at least a two year old suit. Sure. And you know so, what? Some people say, then, oh, well, then you're not riding hard enough. Okay, fair enough. Whatever. I get it that there are a lot uh, of people, but it's, it's, it's horses for courses. It's just, it's, it's just what you're using for. Like, like, I'm just not one of those people that just like pushes my knee into the ground. I'll let it slide across. You know, there it is. Maybe I'll bring up my knee. Maybe I'll put it back down. But I don't put a lot of weight on it. I'm just not that person. It's just not how I ride. I know some people they go through pucks every session. Sure. And and to be fair too, like uh, you know, we're both in Dainese gear and I've been on I've worn some other stuff and it it totally comes down to what kind of compound those those pucks are made of cuz I wore uh an Alpine Star suit at the R6 launch and those pucks are done. And yeah. we were in the rain. Yeah. You know, in questionable conditions. And it's just they're they're just really really soft pucks. You know, Dainese's are a little bit harder. I, I used to wear, I still wear actually, because they've been lasting forever. A company called Neely, Neely Pucks. Neely. They're like they look, they look like a little cigarette uh, box, about the size of a cigarette box. And I don't know what they're made out of, but man, those fuckers have lasted me like uh, ten seasons like or something. Super hard plastic. Yeah, okay, and they're it. great. I love them. You know, bang for buck there. But but we shouldn't talk about knee pucks too much because I think people what they want to know about are the bikes. Yeah. The the first bike. So Tuesday or Tuesday. <sighs> I'm already blurring my days together. Monday. So watch the race on Sunday. We went and raced ourselves on Monday. We were with the Suzuki people. Suzuki Motor America brought us out to ride the 2017 Suzuki GSXR 1000. This is the base model bike. This is the bike that Roger Lee Hayden and Tony Elias are racing in Moto America. It's near, I mean, all these bikes are basically near 200 horsepower now. Um, I think the only super bike that's making actually acclaimed 200 horsepower or more is the Ducati. And I say this because, and this is something I think that's quasi important because it's, it's a pet peeve of mine. A lot of the horsepower figures we see quoted are European metric horsepower figures. And it actually, it actually makes a difference. So when you take the kilowatt rating and translate it into proper American horsepower, a lot of these bikes are sub 200. But you, when you do it for the metric horsepower, which is basically like a tax horsepower, it, it's a little bit higher. There's like a 1% variance between them. And so I, I want to be very specific when we say like, you know, hey, it's it's sub 200. It's near 200 because none of these bikes really are except for like Ducati, which is like 202, I think, or 201. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. But the Suzuki... You know, who who cares if it's 198 or 201 or whatever, because it has a boat ton of power. It has a variable valve, val, variable, blah, 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 remix, variable valve timing cam system, which is very, very trick. And it's right off their MotoGP it's simple, bike. Though. It's the, the, so the reason simple. it's trick is because it's simple. It's, it is it is what engineers call an elegant solution because it is so simple. It is it is using it's literally using simple machines to to tackle a complex Ramps problem and centripetal force 
right? Centrifugal force. Oh, I always forget which one's which. Yes. We should, we should, we could do a podcast on the difference between centripetal and centrifugal. Centrifugal? Centrifugal? Centrifugal. Centrifugal. Yeah. With, anyway. your, with your dangling parts of Dan- Dangling centrifugal. <laughs> um, but that's really cool because it's, it's similar to a, I don't know, it's similar to a, a, a uh, slipper clutch in that. Yeah, you know, that's right? a great way of describing yeah, it's it. It's very, very similar where the, the ramps out and, and and under certain amounts of acceleration and deceleration, then it comes back in and changes the cam timing to suit uh, the power, right? So that's awesome. And it works, you can tell, it works pretty well. That bike had a lot of power up top. It had a lot of power in the middle. It was very, it was very smooth. It would still be a little poochy off the bottom you- if you're used to Frankly, us, we're used to big twins that make a lot of power in the in the lower part of the rev range. And that's a problem for us because we're so used to it, right? Um, and it doesn't, it, you, you have to keep it on boil. I feel that you still have to keep it on boil. But the thing is revving to, what was it, 14.5? That's a lot. I mean, it is for a 1,000 cc engine. It's not an R6 we're talking about here. It's not a 600. It is a 1,000 cc engine to rev to that high. And to stay together for a, you know as what they, I'm sure they're allowing it to do um, takes a lot. It takes a whole lot. So you know what? You can't have it all. And the fact that they were able to get it to rev that high and still have as much mid range as they do uh, is of note. But man, when you're over ten thousand, it would start spinning and it would have this thrust feeling that's not. I, I don't have an, an equivalent for that thrust feeling as you're on the front straight and it would get into that zone of the rev range. It was pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that that whole that whole bike is interesting from my perspective. And we're gonna. I should preface. We're gonna do a whole show about the Jixer. And we've got a great interview with Kevin Schwanson. We're gonna call it the Suzuki Show. Look for it in your feed in a, probably about a week or two. Uh, we're gonna trickle some of the stuff from from Coda out for you. But we wanted to talk kind of about the Jixer and about the RSV4 because we have this unique opportunity to ride both bikes back to back at Circuit of the Americas with very similar conditions. And you don't really get to do that a lot at press launches. Not at all. Um, so I don't want to get too mired down into the details. We're going to get there. It's just going to be a different show. And, you you know, go look for it in your feed in, you know, in a couple of you know, days time. But it was interesting to ride on, on, on Suzuki's system and to see it works really well. Like like you were saying, like yeah, you got to spool it up. Well, yeah, you got to spool up an inline four bike. Yeah, sure. but but you know, coming out of some of these hairpin turns, and this is what I love about Coda is it is a track. I don't actually like riding there. If I'm really honest, I don't hate it, but it's not like it's not like riding like Phillip Island per se. Uh, and I would even say I enjoy riding Thunder Hill more than Coda. Yep. But it is a an amazing facility, and to be there a day after the MotoGP guys were there, a day after the Moto America guys, like I'm not gonna you know sit here and be like, oh, I don't like going there. But no, it, but if but, you but if you're is, gonna be real, you gotta say, hey, here this track has a bunch of bus stop corners that are first gear. They don't flow that well. They're fun to get in and out of. I I like the threshold braking. That's okay. But there's nothing like a course where you never have to get into first gear. You know me. I'm all about the flow. I'm I'm same here. And I love, so Thunder Hill is a good example. Most people don't know that the Ridge there's, you know, there's every track will have usually a slow corner or two, but if, if you can do it right, you, you don't have that at all. And like, I've, nobody's going to, nobody, not many, many of our listeners, actually, I should not say that because we have a lot of Australian listeners, Yeah, but most people know that because we, every time I try and do my no fucking worries, mate. Yeah. I get a nasty email about how my, 
don't don't try and say Brisbane. Let me tell you. Oh wow, Brisbane, Brisbane, Brisbane. Brisbane. So that who who knows what other tracks for me? Road Atlanta has a great flow. Uh, Vir uh, has a great flow. Um, Beaver Run out in Pittsburgh. Well, I, now it's Pittsburgh, whatever raceway. Laguna Seca, dude. I I think it's Laguna Seca. Laguna Seca. It's weird. Fun. It's weird. It's yeah. a weird in its own way, but it flows pretty it well. It flows for pretty me. well. Yep. So it's it's interesting from that point of view because like. For me, it's it's work. I'm working. It's I'm three, huffing. I'm puffing. Three point four miles, and it's nineteen turns. 20, Holy crap! Twenty turns. Twenty. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was don't 19. don't sell it short on the turns. No, no, for sure. Um, but it's a great test track. Yeah, it's a great test track yeah. for a press launch because it's got everything. It has super long high speed straights for t- for top end horsepower. It's got these hairpin turns. You know, these huge braking zones that are going to test your brakes and your threshold braking. You have the S's, which are these fast transitioning corners that you have to if you get the first corner wrong then you're screwed up for the next one when you're screwed up for the one after that and so you have to really be able to pinpoint turn you've got these long sweepers the the three corner right hand sweeper that goes around the tower i think that's i'm um, counting backwards i can't do it in my head you know you're going to get that that laying the bike all the way over seeing how the chassis responds when you're on just like a knife edge of of the tire i mean there's literally everything you want to test for on a motorcycle there's, there's elevation you know there's there's all these elevation changes which seems weird in texas yeah but it's good so so there's everything like you're testing the electronics you're testing the brakes the suspension the chassis the engine you know no no stern no stone is left unturned with with code which i think is a great place to 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 be on a jixer and to be on an rsv4 to see how they handle because I think you and I were surprised at the differences from these two bikes. I mean, the, the formula is kind of the same. Take a four-cylinder motorcycle up to 1,000 cc's. It makes 200 horsepower. It's got all the whiz-bang electronics on it. And to see how different these bikes were. That was really interesting for me. And I don't know, uh, and I feel bad for some of my colleagues because a lot of them, um, they didn't do both days. They did one or the other. The, the, the organization sent different guys or gals to um to the different press launches whereas you and i went to both days and unfortunately couldn't ride the suzuki on the street because of it but we got to ride the suzuki on the track and we got to ride the aprilia on the track and because we weren't we had to kind of think about it through the lens of a street rider which you can do you can you if for a lot of people if like i'm doing a race test and they go out and they do the race test and they're always at full speed and that's all what they're thinking about but i was thinking about it for sure um as a street rider like how this thing is going to behave if you're just cruising along or doing track the base, basic road riding which frankly they're so far out of the duty cycle of something like that See, right that's where i just sit there and i'm like i don't care how, how's how's the jigsaw on the street i don't care how's the rsv4 on the street why are you asking me well why are you why are you asking me because you're gonna sit there and you're gonna put an imu on both these bikes they have all the whiz bang electronics you're gonna put 200 horsepower and you make these little crotch rocket seating positions and you're gonna ask me how it goes on the street when everything about this motorcycle is about making it go as fast as humanly possible on a racetrack, I understand that I understand the argument. I'm going to get ahead of you on this. I understand the argument that 99% of the people are going to be riding these on the street and not the track. And therefore, you know, that opinion and that understanding is worthwhile. But I say I don't care. It's like saying like how does a Honda Goldwing handle on a single track trail? What? Get, yeah, get, the, the, that's such hyperbole. I don't because no, but it's stupid. It's like asking. It's like asking, how does it work as a submarine? I don't care. That's not what it was made for. 
Yeah, but it's made for if I wanted to write, if I say say out of all the listeners we have, we might have some in Los Angeles, and you you go up Angeles Crest Highway. It's a popular thing. You do a lot of people go to the rock store and they ride hard. They might not be getting their knee down and hey, be like me. You go, I, I get it. They want to feel. I they it. want to know what it would be like relative to buying the R one. Right? I did it. I, I know exactly. I, I'm going to get it. I'm a sport bike guy. I rode sport bikes on the street for a long time. I cut my teeth on sport bikes on the street. I get it. But like, it's one of those things where it's like, this is a bike that was meant to do A. And you're asking me how it does B. And and the answer is always going to be, it doesn't do B very well. And if it does B very well, it's not going to do A very well. So what do you care? I mean, you want to you want a sport bike for the street? That's a lot of fun. Go get a Hyper Motard. Go get an FZ09. Go get a Suzuki GSX S750. They make a bike for this, a sporty bike that's comfortable on the street. Yeah, for go sure. for it. But Chicks if you want that-, that crotch rocket that you can do a track day, but then go to your your local twisty road and you want to know, is it streetable? And for me, I would think about say that Aprilia or or an 1199 or. Some of these bikes that are obviously more focused towards track with gearing specifically. And that's the one thing that I thought was really interesting with this GSXR. $14,500 price point. For right? the non-ABS. For the yeah. non-ABS. And they, they, they were very specific. We are making this as a price point bike because we know a lot of our customers would want this. I'm curious if that's the case. With a thousand cc, oh, absolutely. I think that's I think that's absolutely a price point because Suzuki's the cheapest in the market, and having a fourteen five price point gets them even cheaper because the Cowie's around fifteen ish. I and I think that's I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, like my 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 review of the Suzuki in a nutshell is it's it ticks all the boxes that Suzuki has to tick as a superbike brand. I wouldn't say necessarily excels at those boxes, but you can you can two hundred horsepower check. IMU electronics check, um, you know Brembo brakes check. Okay, well you can't really adjust the electronics that much. It's not really 200 horsepower, but no one really is. The Brembo brakes were actually really really bad, but you checked all the boxes and that works for Joe Skippy Squid Squid Bike guy. And it looks the part. Looks it looks really the part. Really good. And it's not a bad bike. It's not a bad bike. I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not trying to hate on it. But I'm just saying, you know, like it is like. But how can we get at that 14.5 price point because there's going to be these guys that come along and maybe, you know, you and I have talked about the different kinds of buyers buying on cash, buying on credit, you know, 14, five, that's, that's as much as they can spend. You know, that's what they can afford. Whatever that's outright price or that's monthly payments, that's their bike, or they just, they just want to get into it and they don't want to spend a lot of money. There it is. Like that's bang for the buck. Yeah. It's big time. Bang for the buck. Sure. And then you do have room and the people that would do that, if they're wise, they'd be like, all right, I'm going to finance this bike. I'm going to go to this this dealership and I'm going to have them throw in a set of wheels or uh, a quick shifter. Just quick that alone. Shifter, for yeah. me, on that bike, I'm not an exhaust guy any longer. For For the most part, I, I enjoy a, a loud exhaust sometimes, but eh, I'm, I'm okay with it stock. This can, everybody's all, it's huge, oh, and they complain, whatever. Did you see the 1999 R1? The original R1? Yeah. The 99 can? Oh, yeah, for sure. With that That's huge... That is the biggest bazooka can I've ever seen. It was, but you know what? You, you know what? You cannot complain about exhaust cans unless you start with that bike. Yeah, for sure. There's a few other ones. I would say Ducati 999, the most hideous 
abomination of an exhaust I've oh ever i love seen. that i love that exhaust oh, get gross. out of here it's so horrible get out of here. it's like a colostomy bag we're not gonna agree this second bag. half of the show we're just not gonna agree <laughs> so it's on like donkey kong quentin bring it <laughs> the, the how much mountain dew do you have i got a whole can over got, here you got the can for sure because i uh, you know what i have i don't know what is that an inch left yeah uh, you, got, you got like a finger of, of mountain dew in that glass right okay. there so um that can isn't that bad i'm not bothered but i need a quick shifter do i need blipping throttle downshifts yes. holy crap was it good holy yes, crap the answer, the answer to that question is always uh, yes so then then that brings me to how much is the gsxr 1000 r is that what it's called or is it yes. a gsxr GSX, gsxr 1000 and that's 169 right so 17 grand so you think of all right so let's let's yeah. think about this here yeah. right you got the 14 5 put a quick shifter probably most people would go to bazazz and no you can get one there's a suzuki kit part is there great uh, soon to be there will be sure. by the time these bikes are or if you want out. a little bit more electronics package i'm pretty sure bazazz is going to come up with some shit that will be more right i don't know why what. would you why would you it already has all the whistles and bells yeah but does it does it have the adjustability you need do you feel well, it's okay that's that's my issue right so it has the yeah. imu and it has it it does the wheelie control it does, does the it rear. pretty good if you have abs because i should say the base model doesn't have the rear wheel lift control because it, it doesn't have, have ABS, abs yeah yeah but the abs model does have this so when you, it has the rear wheel lift powered by the imu it has the slide control it has the wheelie control it has all this stuff but the only electronics you can adjust are the throttle mapping and the traction control, and that's stupid. But price point, there price it point, is. Yeah. And, and, well, right, and, so- and and the counterpoint. Sorry, I want to keep interrupting you because because you're wrong. <laughs> but you and I, we talked about this. I, I forget which show, but we talked about overcomplicating things and and feature overload. Yeah. And I will say that's one thing that I think Suzuki. I don't know if they're right or wrong, and I'm obviously I'm one of those people who are like it, I think it's dumb. But I, they might actually be really genius about this. Where it's like, do you do you really need to nope. have a slide people, control most thing? Don't do give you a shit. really need to have? So if they that want really- anything extra, they'll buy a unit. And I don't know how much a good Bazaz unit is now, but that would be one thing that you'd look at. And you've got to look at what the aftermarket would present. And I think this is good for the industry because they can make better margins on some of these aftermarket parts than they can on the bike that they're selling, especially at that price point. I I would be very interested to see what dealer cost is relative to what they can sell at fourteen five. So the, that it helps the the dealerships as well. Installing parts, rear sets. Shoot, you don't even have to do any. This is the best part of that, Jixer, is they swapped. the. I wanted GP Shift. After I rode it for a while, I was like, you know what? Oh, that's right. I I I want to ride this thing in standard shift, but because it doesn't have a quick shifter, and I'm so used to that on a track, at least let me give it a GP and it'll it'll help me get a little bit smoother. And they did it and they timed it because nobody else had asked for it yet. Um, they timed it. It took them a minute. Well, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure I did because I went out. My bike was GP shift. Oh, well, I did one lap and came and I'm like, no, oh, this is dumb. I mean, I, I could do it, but this is dumb. Let's yeah. take this out of the equation. And you didn't want that. Whereas I'm like, yeah, yeah. give it to me. So they swapped it uh, and they timed it to do the swap. It was a minute, 15 seconds oh, because it's so, it's so easy. easy and so rad on the Jixer system. Everybody think, oh, well, who cares? Well, let me tell you from a, from a standpoint of different bikes with different shift mechanisms mechanisms different rear sets and different placements for all these things it is of note how difficult it can be oh, to yeah. swap like you had to buy a set of rear sets for a for the triumph 675 to do that you had to buy a very specific set of rear sets to do that or look at my hyper i actually when i was out at the track uh, not too long ago at thunder hill with my hyper i was like you know what like there's a couple turns where i'm really leaned over 
and I can't get my foot underneath the lever. I need a GP shift so I can do that. I look, go down, look at the linkage, and the linkage is like yeah. n- not even an inch. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm totally host. That's just that's just the way that's going to be because there's just nothing here. And doing the same on a multi-strut, I had to I had to do some modification for sure to get that to work, and it, it wasn't easy. Um, yeah, and there's some bikes are super simple, right? Of course, but and that was one thing of note. So you do that, you get your GP shift, and shoot. If the Bezaz system would give me a blip, I'm I'm so lazy now. This blipping throttle thing. Let me tell you, people. You need to ride a bike on a track with this. It's unreal. It's it makes. So you're talking about the RC4 now. No, I, I'm talking about blip auto blipping shifting on a, a 1299 on a on a BMW S1000R right, right. or the aftermarket the system that you could put onto a GSXR right. for cheap if you buy for 14.5 and you put a blip uh, a, a bazaz controller that could do that with a with a quick shifter and then I would probably do something with the brakes. Well, I don't know what I would absolutely. do. They were not that great, but I would. I, not I would, that I, great. They were horrible. I would ease into it. Dude, I could threshold brake pretty well. It just didn't feel great. So I'd, I would change the pads, see what the feel is. And if that didn't work, then I would go to the master cylinder. I'd think the calipers are fine. And then the rotors. If the rotors, I mean, they, they, we were cooking those rotors like, like, I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where they take the turkey out of the oven and it just dries up and shrivels. That's what the brakes looked like on these bikes. We were cooking them hard because those the, the threshold brake zones in that place, holy crap. There were like five places where oh, we yeah. needed to, and one of them was from full sixth all the way to first. That you That is a difficult yeah. You're place You're going from to like a that. buck 75 to like 35. It was so, unreal. Yeah. And so they, I thought they would stand up pretty good. They did fade a bit. I had to have the lever all the way out to the number one position. I had to be mindful of it. But once I got that sorted, it did feel weird. And they were not even close to how good the Aprilia's were. But I could still slow that fucker down. See, I think I think you and I had different experiences because I went out on the stock position for the gear for the brake lever, brought it all the way back to the handlebar and like the on the first on the back straight first lap, and came back in and we we redid the. the Did you change the angle of the levers? No, that was the first thing I had them do. No, yeah, my the angle was fine, um, but uh, I had the the I went out and I, it was in GP shift. So and and the. Brake lever came all the way back. So I came in, they changed out the, the shifter uh, configuration, and I moved the brake lever all the way out to the farthest away position, and then went out again. End of that session, I was still bringing the lever all the way back to the bar, just about. I wouldn't say it was touching the bar, but like you couldn't get my pinky underneath it. Really disconcerting. Came back in. They bled the brakes. Uh, well, they didn't bleed it, but they, they, they pumped out the air, and it was a lot better. But it was still one of those things where I'm just like, man, like, I am cooking these puppies. Fair enough. And I think it is. And I think it is a pads and rotors thing. Yeah, pads and rotors all day long. Well, that's that's what I say. But the price point, mm, price is, point is, is any street bike rider ever gonna? No, they're gonna be fine with it. They'll probably work pretty well. Not excellent, but pretty well. So if somebody does want to then transfer from just street riding to track days. Boom, you change some components and I, you're not going to be that expensive. It's not going to be thousands of dollars. If I mean, if you're super trick, you put wheels on the bike. That's the first thing I always recommend for anybody. The suspension was excellent. The suspension was those, great. Those big piston forks on that standard bike were excellent feeling. I loved it. I thought it was great. And we were on tires that I didn't know. I didn't know they were not that familiar with. So, I, you know, we should again, say we're on we're, the Bridgestone we're get- R10s. Same tire I was on with the Yamaha launch. It, we're getting into a lot of detail with it. 
uh, I think we need to concentrate more on the how weird it was to go from that bike okay. to the other. Right. So, so let's switch gears. Yep. Let's switch bikes. Yeah. Let's switch bikes to the Aprilia because okay. So second day, both of us, we were we were three people that had been at the test the day before. We're there. It was you, me, and Sam Fleming from Road Racing World. I think that was it. And then uh, yeah, I think so. A couple of the the journalists that we were with the second day had already been Coda. They were good. Uh, they knew they knew the track, but uh, but it was immediately like, okay, I can get to the track and not have to learn learn, learn the track, right? You know who wasn't there? No, Spurgeon. You know why? Because no one likes Spurgeon. Who's Spurgeon? No one likes Spurgeon. I don't know anyone that likes Spurgeon. Didn't Spurgeon? see Spurgeon there at all. Hmm. I don't know who Spurgeon is. Yeah, you don't need to. Okay. All right. So Spurgeon wasn't there. So uh, we were able to get up to speed pretty quick. We're on Pirelli's. Uh, they as ship tires, not the putting race tires on the bike. They were putting the they were, they were as they were shipped, yeah. which are super courses, uh, Pirelli super courses. So right? we should say we were on the we were on four different bikes of Pirelli. We were on the RSV4 in the RR and RF trims. We were on the Tuono V4 in the 1100 RR and 1100 factory trims. The Tuono had the Diablo Rosso threes, I believe, believe is what they're, they're yeah. going by now because yeah. I can't keep track of Pirelli's naming conventions. Sure. I think it's the Diablo Corso Rosso three. I can't even remember. Street tire. Yeah. All the other bikes were on the Super Corsa SP DOT race tire. Yeah. And they were good. And you immediately went out. They were on warmers. They on the, the, the whatever the Corsa Rosso three things were not on warmers, but everything else was. And we started off on the RR. Sorry. Yes. RSV4 RR, not the base model RSV4, which it's funny to call grand. it. Funny to call it a base model. Holy crap! Unreal, just unreal. Worked so well. It was like boggle your mind, right? You know, we you know we made the joke, so we did the ad because you you made a remark when you got off you know the bike and we were commenting about your leathers. Yeah, I vividly remember you getting off the R and being like, "Holy crap! I got to get one of these. Yeah, this bike is awesome. How much is this? 17, 17 grand. Let's get to one. Just we gotta get one of these. Let's get one. Of these. Can we get a test? Can we get a test bike? Let's get one of these. Yeah, it's really impressive. You were stoked. Like, super, super gnarly. Just because it was so easy to ride. And for me, a lot of it was that just blip throttle, man. And well, that wasn't all of it, but it, it was stoke, stokage away going into the corners, just click, 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 rah, 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 and it was just doing it all for me. It's, it's horrible. It's doing it's all horrible. the maths. It's horrible how lazy I've gotten, but I can't put it in the words how comfortable that is to to do on a track, especially with these huge threshold braking spots, right? Going into turn one, going into the last corner before the long straight, at on the long straight, going into the corner after that, and then a couple other spots on the track where you have to be on the binders quite a, quite a lot going into turn 20. Like you, you have to, even if it's only one gear, you got to get deep into it. And boy, you need that, that, that feeling and being able to blip the throttle down and not even have to think about it, having all the controls super easy to, well, I was say super easy because there's a lot of complicated things going on, but that's just because you have a lot of uh, uh, things to change. It's awesome. And, and I know you, I don't know if you've been on the earlier no. models of the RC4. Apparently it was tragic. It was so hard. You want to talk about overly complex. I think the 2017 model, there's a lot of differences. And the one of the big ones I think is Aprilia's done a really good job of making a complex bike more simple. I wouldn't say they're 100% there, but man, did they just go from like, say like 30% to like 70% or 30% to like 90% because it's so much better than it used and, to be. And it's a strange, uh, it's a strange, like it almost sounds like it would be a negative, oh, complicated motorcycle. Is it that complicated? Yeah, there's a lot going on with these bikes. But are are there any more complicated than anything else out there? But well, I'm talking about a scalpel weapon, like super 
super scalpel weapon for so this. So what did you what did your butt dino tell you in terms of differences versus the Suzuki and the RSV4? Just more the more easy to to manage mid-range and the gearing for me the gearbox is something that when we were talking about the Jixer, I went off on a tangent. I was going to say the gear the, the first gear on the Jixer was super low, super low. Easy for streets. Great. There's nothing wrong with that. But then the gap from first to second was a bit much or felt like it. I don't maybe it was just my impression, but because the first gear was so super low, um, it wasn't that comfortable on a couple of these corners. Whereas first gear on this thing, this is a race gearbox, man. You could be in first gear uh, with the Aprilia where you had to be, you were either wrapped out in first or you're too low in second on the on the Suzuki. So it was like you could pick pick your gear. You could be in you could be in second probably. I would never have to be because it had such long legs and worked so well in first. And then the power was just so smooth and controllable. Top end, I don't know, man. It was a rush of power. Didn't have that same whoosh rush after 10,000, but it had something enough to keep me like, oh my God, you have to hold on for dear life. I found it to be the power is almost um, deceiving because the RC4 was so much more linear in yeah. its delivery. Yeah. You don't actually feel like you're going as fast, but I was hitting a buck 75 both bikes by the time I was getting on my braking point. I never noticed. But I could, I don't look at that speed. Harder. I only did it because I had to make a mental point of it. Sure. I was like, am I, cause, cause the, my issue was I had to change, I had to change all my shift points and all my brake markers going from Monday to Tuesday, obviously. Yeah. Um, but the thing that got me the most was my braking point down the back straight on the RSV4 was 50 to 75 feet deeper. And I'm sitting there going like, am I braking deeper because I have better brakes? Am I braking deeper because I'm going slower? And so I, I made a point to look down my spine. I'm like, no, I'm doing about a buck 70, buck 75 each time. Yeah. You know, and I'm just, you felt just, way more confident because oh it was God. way more confidence. Oh my inspiring. God. Cause it was sure. so much better. Yeah, but I, again, if I'm looking at on the on the Jixer, I could still get it done. No, it wasn't as fast for me. But looking through the lens of a street rider and or even a track day rider, yeah, I make a couple changes to some of the stuff that's easy to change. It's not like, oh, well, you're going to have to change the forks. Oh, you need K-Tech fork no, kits, no, 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 right? No, you basic, don't have to do that. The basics are good. The basics are good. But I think for me, the, the most noticeable difference was the S's. Yeah. Going through the S's on both bikes. Yeah. And the Suzuki's not like it's like the lightest bike in the market. No, but it fucking went through those but S's it went, it really went through the S's well. pretty good. Yep. And then you get on the end. And, but that's this is, I think, the value of having a back-to-back option. Because I don't know if I would have been able to really give an opinion about the Suzuki's transition speed. Because you're just like, yeah, like you said, it went through them really well. Yep. It did a good job. Wasn't an issue for me. Yeah. And I would have said, probably said the same thing about the RSV4. But I know... Having ridden the Suzuki compared to the RSV4, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Suzuki went through the S is so much better than the RSV4. That transition from side to side was so much better on the Suzuki. And you wouldn't have gotten that, have had that yeah. had you not had that opportunity to ride the bikes back back to back. And then same goes for going from the RR to the RF. Right. For me, I immediately felt it because it was hard to get through those. It was harder. Harder. It hard. It was you know, still... You had to throw You it just around. had to use more upper body and well no you had to use your whole body to get it through the s's fat as fast as you were uh just the transitions right on the rf i could feel it immediately with the lightweight wheels it was immediate so this is this is the the model has different suspension has own suspension and forged aluminum wheels and it also comes with some electronic features that's good so good um but, you know, for my money, I would still get the RR. Yeah, you and me both. I, I, I mean, I get it. I like that stuff. But 
I've been around the industry long enough to where the Olin's, I don't need that. I don't, I, I get that that is probably a better suspension component for the long run, but the sock stuff worked really well. Sock stuff and I don't, really if well. I'm not going to, if I'm going to spend the 17 grand on the super whiz bang, badass bike with the V4, I'm just going to, dude, I wouldn't have to do anything to that bike I mean, and nothing. 17 grand for the RR, 23 grand for the RF. Dude, you could splurge and buy carbon fiber wheels for three grand and still have three grand and laugh all the way to the bank. Three grand for tires and track. It would be tires and track days. That's what I tell everybody. It's like wheels for sure, just because it's fun and it's cool to modify. Maybe a pipe, I guess, but I don't know. Those bikes were, I don't know if you noticed how loud those bikes were. Well, so here's something interesting. Holy crap, they were loud stock. Loud stock, but we were revving the, the snot out of them. Sure, part of it. But, still loud. But at the testing point, they're very quiet. But both bikes, I should point out, are Euro 4 50 stake compliant yeah. machines. Yeah. And both of them, all the 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 goodness that's doing that, I shouldn't say all of it. Like if you look at the RC4 2016 versus 2017, you'll notice that there's some differences on the clutch cover for for noise. But all the exhaust, whatever badness they're doing, they're doing it in the can. Yeah. So there's kind of a thing like if you put a slip on on, remap it. Yep. You're going to find some power. It's going to find power and lightweight. And yeah. and it's simple as opposed yeah. to some of these bikes where for the longest time manufacturers are figuring out ways to stuff the exhaust and like multiple chambers right. and underneath the bike and all that, which is, right. you know what? Fair enough. They're mass centralization, yada, yada, yada. But really, it ends up being extra complexity in the exhaust system. It probably costs a lot. And now they're just basically saying, F it. That's a really big, ugly, gnarly looking exhaust. I'm just going to throw it out there in the end. And yeah. you know what? A lot of people are going to change it. It didn't bother me. Those exhaust pans don't bother me. But I like the idea that like the stuff that like when you go to replace it, like you're going to find like you're going to get you're going to uncork it a little bit. And sure. I don't think that's necessarily been true in the past of putting a slip on on a bike before where it's like hey, you're not really making any power gains because it's just that's not where the issue is. To go back to your point though, about the suspension, like, yeah, for me, I agree with you. Because the suspension and the chassis wasn't the rate limiter for me. The transition speed through the S is on the RSV4. Absolutely. Ladder wheels, that fixes it. Um, not that, not that, I mean, there's both those bikes, man. I mean, yeah, I think I'm right. Like, I would, I would change up the brakes on the Suzuki. I would put a quick shifter on it. That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the RSV4, I would need a double bubble windshield. I'm just too freaking big yeah i didn't really notice it that much i'm not but i'm still tall enough i don't know if you've ever seen well, i think i'm broader than you though oh, my issue sure. was my shoulders and my arms sure. were just dangling oh, in the wind you see the pictures it's like gnarly but i also it's because of lift brah have you seen the what is the i'm sorry if i don't know the nomenclature for the super ramp whammy fast badass aprilia that's 150 grand rsv4 fwgp factory works grand prix <laughs> factory works See, that sounds like, and you know, and you know, someone was in that room that was like, oh, shouldn't we call it the APRC ABS double R FWGP? <laughs> and then someone just walked right over and slapped Smack. him in the face and was like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Thank God. So mm -hmm. that bike, I don't know if you noticed, it looks like it has a five head instead of a forehead because of that, right? It has a huge front fairing. At least <laughs> I, had to, I had to think like, what are you talking about? You're talking about fingers. Forehead, five head, five head. Yeah, yeah. If you know, oh well, man, you know, I don't. You know, the, so the, there was a poor, unfortunate soul in our in my high school that had a five head, and she just had a hairline that Dude, was. You're just mean. Man. It was horrible. I feel it's so bad now thinking you're about that. Horrible but, human being. Yeah. Well, that but, bike looks sick. I I love that Aprilia has that 
that. Yeah, that's pretty good. I I think every, I won't say every brand, but a lot of brands, like if you know the right people, you got that kind of coin, yep. that that stuff can happen for you. But I love that Aprilia is advertising it. Um, our buddy Paulo, he's grabbing a, a super uh, stock version for himself. The, yeah. the buddy, the guy you gave a ride to, Pagnol, Pagnol from, from Pagnol. Yeah, that guy was really cool, and he listened to the podcast. I didn't even yeah. know it until like I was about to drop him off at his hotel. And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's good to put a a, a, a face to the 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 voice," and I'm like. Oh, you listen to the podcast? Yeah, I know. It's so weird. He's like, good, dude. He's good, dude. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's cool that he's, he's picking up. Those. He's picking up a, a I think, a, one in a super stock trim. But that's the thing. You can get it in different super stocks, super bike, whammy, bammy, motor GP. You can get it with the freaking pneumatic valves. You could buy it if you had the money, if you have the means. But it's not even that much money. Well, like 150 talking, grand is 150, 150 grand. grand. 150 grand for a Moto GP bike, basically. This is what yeah. you know, Alicia Spargo was on not that long a ago. CRT bike. But still, yeah. trick is trick. You right? say it like, oh, CRT bike. Well, but this CRT like, bike. After talking with our good buddy Romano, oh yeah, there's some differences. There's man. some differences. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna front. Huge. But you know what? Like before CRT was a thing, like and this is this is me like back in the forums days, right? When you would see a guy in the forum who would just get who would just like he had like an inside line like with the race team, and he would get like the race exhaust and the race yeah, sure. parts and all that stuff. They build that bike. You would sit there and be like, that is the ultimate version of an rsv4 that is awesome yeah and now we're just like crt bike yeah right because that's what that is yeah sure it is a street bike pimped out with no budgets is it a street bike though they don't come with lights and stuff do they that that rs i just mean i just mean it's based off a street bike you know it's the same true race bike. it was it was a very similar frame to the rsv4 frame was it was an rsv4 motor they did race it in moto gp and they raced it in moto gp and it did pretty well well it didn't agree great but it it surprised some people on its day yeah so yeah neat stuff for sure and and i you know having been around aprilia's now for uh, 18 years. I started working at Pro Italia in 1999, and they had the first Miles of that t- steel tanked Miles. Oh, that was a, the Rotax engine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that was a big deal back then to be at the at a shop that was selling those and how hot it was, and being the press bike fleet managers for the for the bikes at the time. I spent a lot of time in the early days, and I didn't like them compared to the Ducatis. I just didn't. I just never. I was like, man, that's okay. Crashed the crap out of one of them. It was a press bike. It was a, a sales slash press bike at Willow Springs. Turned one into a ball in turn eight. So after that was one of the main goals this weekend was and like ruined a pair of leathers in the process. Going, I'm going to, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to uh, brand new leathers. Oh my God, I'm so sad. Um, I'm going to make it through this Aprilia thing and not crash one of their bikes. And I'm not going to send it off into the grass. So that worked out pretty well for me. And both of us managed to go th- get through the weekend unscathed. We got to ride these wicked bikes. I don't think no no press people crashed. Um, Sahara-san from from Suzuki. That, that's how this is how rad that's Suzuki rad. is. That's pretty rad. That their lead engineer for the GSXR one thousand, which frankly is probably the lead engineer for a bunch of stuff. I mean, right? like, yeah. I mean, if you're the guy that that is in charge of the Jixer, he did the TL one thousand, a bike near and dear to my heart that he didn't it, want to talk about. He didn't want to talk about it. That's all right. I understand why. <laughs> I understand. We, we don't need to talk. We don't need to go there. <laughs> But the you know like if you're that guy and he was you are probably you are probably the big swinging dude at Suzuki yeah, like for people, sure. he probably walks in and people just start talking okay we're gonna listen now he's and he's rad he's rad he speaks well and he races and and he was out there hauling ass and he ended up tipping over 
and it, and it was like he wasn't hurt. Wasn't hurt. He was able to get up. He kept riding. That for me was like that's enthusiasm that gives me chills to think about. That's not just sycophantic yeah. company people. We're talking about people that have passion, and a lot of people might might equate Suzuki with that, and I don't. I just kind of think of Suzuki as uh, cookie cutter Japanese bikes. But after having experienced that, and then also my uh, with with the lens from having been at Suzuki. 12, 13 years ago for the GSX-R 750 launch ba- back then, I, I kind of remembered, okay, these people, there's a there's a deep enthusiasm and there's a deep love for the brand and it's really rad. And that person was there at that time, I remember, because he's kind of a unique look to him. So um, I, I was pretty stoked that he was out there and the freaking, he was the only one that crashed. I was like, well, respect. Dude, right? leathered up, swung a leg on that bike, did some laps and sent it. <laughs> and you know what? Shit happens sometimes, yeah. man. And he was just like, Yep. He was he was pretty matter of fact about it. You could tell there was a bit of that little bruised ego, but generally he got back no. out there and he's like, you know what? This is what we do. We all know. That We've was, all been here. That was right? the thing. He comes back and he's like, I'm okay. And like everyone's like, Oh, you guys okay? Oh, you crash? Oh. All right, cool. Let's go ride some bikes. That's yeah. all, oh, yeah. right really on. Good. Let's go. Really good. Really good. And then good same with the Aprilia thing. All the regional reps were helping us, which was really interesting. So in the Suzuki world, they have a lot of people. People from R&D were doing the working on the bikes, and they were all rad. All the people that were involved, super cool, super appreciative that they were doing the things they were doing. The Aprilia deal, it was the regional, it's the sales reps. They, they, they don't even have service people that much. Like It's not that common. Aprilia is small enough. So all these guys, frankly, there are four of them, were ex-Ducati employees that I know. Right. So like big ups to everybody there that was helping us out. Jason Bishop, uh, Gennaro Della Corte. Um, uh, there was also uh, who else was it? There was uh, the guy didn't I never worked with, but he was a Ducati guy named Jim McKenna. He was there. That was really cool. And then Patrick from uh, they used to be in the uh, marketing department. Um, so all of those guys were helping us out. And in the end, they got to ride the bikes. And I yeah, was like, that was, that was kind of the fun thing. Rad, right. They were like, oh, we're going to be done at four. And I was like, what a weird time to be done. Like, mm, usually right. track day is done at five. I don't know. his ordinance. I don't know. Whatever. We had a pretty hectic schedule on the bikes. I was done. Yeah. I, w- I was done at four. I wasn't going out I again. I was cooked. I was cooked. But then you see, they're like, oh, we're done at four because you guys are going to go spend the next hour doing your own track and day. And you know what? As they should. That's they race should. to the top. That's yeah. not race to the bottom. That is getting the sales reps stoked on the product so they can go, frankly, hopefully help Aprilia get their shit together because they need it to get a dealer network that's solid enough to be able to, to sell these awesome bikes, right? Dude, I'll say like they do not have a product problem because those bikes were awesome. Yeah, every one of them. I was I came out of there like super stoked on the new RSV4 because you can you can be poopy about it. You can be poopy. And I think this is the interesting story that I think we totally just missed over the last whatever half an hour we've been talking Suzuki gone from the game for like what eight years on the Jixer? Yeah. Insane. You know, so they come out no for, major change since 2009, like iterative changes. Yeah. So, you know, they come out with a brand new model, complete opposite of what basically Aprilia's been doing for like the past eight years. I'm trying to think how long the RSV4 has been around there for 2009, about the same about time. About the same time. Yep. So, but Aprilia's been iterative every, change. Every couple iterative years. Iterative change. Iterative change. change. A little evolution, yep. a little evolution. So it'd be really easy to be like, oh, eight years and we're going to go out. What's the 2017 model got? But you're like, no, 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 no. A lot of changes in the 20. Noticeable. Pretty much every component inside the engine is different. Yeah. The electronics are upgraded on like, I don't know, like a ones and zeros plane. But like for me, like just the way they were laying it out with the controls and being able to change it. Because like it was such a beast to get through in the past. It was dumb. 
And now it's like, okay, so you have like Aprilia basically brought the IMU to the motorcycle industry. They were there before Yamaha. They might have had the other manufacturers might have had it on their GP bikes, but they were the first ones to bring it to to the production level. And that's why the RC4 was so good when it first showed up. It was so underrated because it it was the first one to use MotoGP level electronics um, using an IMU, using a six axis IMU. And it's funny that that's just now becoming a thing. And a lot of people think it's Yamaha that brought that to the market. Really, it was Aprilia. But the point I'm trying to get at is, you know, they've, they've done such a good job now of, of making that technology approachable. And this is where I have like a real a real difference between the Suzuki and, and the Aprilia. Because I'm one of those guys like, I want to be able to, okay, wheelie control level two, ABS level one, uh, rear wheel lift. Okay, no. Um, let's do traction control. I can change the traction control on the fly. Okay, cool. Whereas like the Suzuki, it's like traction control three. Okay, I guess I'm done. Drive mode A. That's it. That's all you got. All this stuff you could do, but that's all I got. Good for people that maybe don't want to sit there and yeah. do this granular kind of stupidity because truth be told, Suzuki did the maths. Yeah. When you go from it traction worked. control two to traction control one, the slide, you know, changes and it, it still does the stuff and it, it works, works well. and it's good. Like yeah. you can't get, I can't get too poopy about it. But there's kind of like an anal retentive part side of, of me. you that just wants to tweak, wants to tweak. I just want to be a nerd. I just yeah. want to get sit there and look at my look at my silly timing photo things and and tinker with my <laughs> my electronics and and geek out about GPS. Um, but really interesting to see how two brands have just over the past you know better part of a decade just come at it from completely opposite ends. And the bikes are very different. And I think that's really interesting. Like I think that that fact that bikes can still be different when we've get into this like kind of pointy end of just yeah. two hundred horsepower and how much I mean they're all about the same same with the MotoGP it's all they're all morphing to about being about the same basic structure I mean I have and it's motorcycle it's tough to to change too much unless you're electric so that is it's going to be where it gets boiled down to but the completely different schools of thought with the V four to the inline four. Definitely different and definitely a few different chassis things that make it different and feel different. It was good. It was for sure good to to have that juxtaposition. And I was, I, I mean, it was what a privilege, rad. Yeah. And the cool start part would be sometimes, sometimes they would take the bikes off the warmers and put them on the kickstands. So you had to put the kickstands up before you went instead of just off the stand. I was so stoked. Clink. And the day, that's like I said, the Daneasy boots were really good for that. Clink. Clink. I liked, there was a couple, I, I kept trying to get the photo, but your, one of your boys was helping you out because you would come in and they would put the bike up on the stand and your kickstand would still be down. Yeah. Which is kind of like a, a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. And I was when trying to get the photo of like, oh, kickstand down, kickstand down. <laughs> and then right as I was taking it, one of the guys goes, clink. I'm like, oh. So kickstand down with it on the rear stand. On the rear like stand. I would park it and then they would put it, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time. That's Foiled my again. move. It's my move. Kickstands up. Yeah. That's adorable. You're adorable. It was a lot of fun riding with you on the track one. Yeah, it was. It was right. I was stoked. Thank you to Suzuki and Aprilia for inviting us out to ride your bikes. Thank you again to Dainese and AGV for sponsoring this episode. They're making motorcycle gear inspired by humans and making sure Quentin and I are safe when we uh, go for little off-road excursions at the track days. Good talk. See you out there. Later. Bye. You're going to be there? I hope so. I hope so, too.
All right. So they although my dream of finally getting a new co-host could come true, <laughs> fingers crossed. Kick Who could it be? Down. You Hashtag could have like an open audition. Down. It could be. It could be like speed dating, <laughs> and I just have like like twenty hosts lined up, and we get like five minutes each, and it just can be like, so what do you think about kickstands? Do you pro <laughs> pro kickstand team kickstand or not? <laughs> get out. Just get out. <laughs> All right. So yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It was good. That's good.